Now we are in the year of 2023. When it comes to the word democracy, too often we tend to think about the country of United States of America. Mainly, we believe this democratic system um, uh, has been so long preserved and well protected. Of course, today, that it's rather debatable. Mainly, we believe that whatever happened in America and shall be repeated somewhere else, especially regarding the word democracy and let alone the word elections. Now, get this. In this episode, we can't talk about another country rather than the nation of Brazil. Brazilian Supreme Court authorized an investigation into former President Bolsonaro lately with prosecutors accusing the right-wing leader of inciting the riot by repeatedly claiming the election he lost to the current president, which is Lula, recently. Now, Bolsonaro has condemned the behavior but he continued to post unfounded election fraud claims. How about this person? And how should we understand Bolsonaro today, even though he's no longer the president of the country? And get this, some people believe, especially the evangelical communities, they believe that Bolsonaro is supposed to be Messiah for the country of Brazil. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I can't find a better person who can share with us more in details rather than you know his name, Dr. Marcus de Freitas. Now, Dr. Marcus is a senior fellow at the Policy Center for the New South. He focuses on international law, international relations, and Brazil, and is currently a visiting professor of international law and international relations at China Foreign Affairs University in Beijing, China. Dr. Marcus, and happy 2023, and welcome back to The Missing Piece. Thank you so much for your invitation, Will. Always a pleasure to be with you, and a happy, happy 2023, too. Well, Dr. Marcus, again, as we mentioned before, we're very excited about this conversation. Now, I want to get to the first question. As we mentioned in the intro lately that we have seen throughout the media that Brazilians, or shall we say, believers of the Bolsonaros that storm into the capital again, to to um, to um get this righteousness from this answer belief that Lula, the current president, actually stole the last election. So in other words, those people who stormed into the capital didn't believe the election was fair. Now, given the fact we have seen the footage and we've seen the media exposure one after another, and we can't help ask the question, was the election fair enough or was the election really rigged by someone else, and so that Bolsonaro lost and Lula was able to win. What do you think? Well, Will, this is a very complicated question to answer because there are some things that are up in the air that never really got solved, mm. right? You know, you know, any any equipment or any technology that you develop, no matter what the technology is. Mm. Uh, there will be some flaw, right? There is no technology ever created by man that is completely flawless. Mm. And one of the things that the Brazilian uh, Supreme Court and the Brazilian Electoral Court have been affirming is that the Brazilian electoral system is perfect, mm. uh, flawless, and it has no possibilities of being you know, manipulated with. And historically, there have always been some doubts about the, uh, you know, how pristine the system is in that sense. 
And one of the things that Bolsonaro did was to raise the flag that, you know, the Brazilian electoral system had some flaws that had to be fixed. The issue is that the way he proposed the review of this mechanism was, you know, uh, going back to a previous system or a mix with the previous system where you have like a paper proof and in the, uh, you know, in the electronic voting. Now, what is the problem and what is the challenge is that, you know, this has been approved by the Brazilian Congress for years, but the Brazilian Supreme Court has somehow uh, always postponed this process. Mm. And the challenge is this, you know, the conflict that we have in Brazil is that according to the drawings, historical drawings of Montesquieu, uh, we have three powers in the Republic. You have the executive power, the legislative power, and the judicial power. That's right. Right? The problem is that uh, the judiciary power in Brazil has grown in too much uh, power Mm. and strength. And why why is that? Well, because the Brazilian uh, executive power had a huge corruption problem during the Mm. Lula years. That's why he was in prison. And also the legislative power has also had major issues with corruption. So the only one that kind of escaped the situation was the judicial power. And because of that, they have ascertained or they have gathered too much power. And because of this, they have really interfered in the way the other powers work and the other, you know, in the other ones in the system work. So you have this, uh, a electoral system or, you know, uh, an electronic voting that some people believe it not to be 100% accurate mm. because at the end of the election, you know, at the end of the cycle, you as the elector do not have a paper saying for uh, showing you who you voted, right? You do, you do not see that. So there is no receipt for that. Second, you have a judicial power that has gathered more strength and more responsibilities and more, you know, power than it was supposed to have because none of the Supreme Court judges in Brazil are ever elected by the people. And third, and that's an important thing that he also saw, uh, people felt that the way that Lula ticket was somehow approved uh, was the result of a lot of... uh, court, uh, you know, some uh, ways of circumventing the law. And because Lula and Dilma appointed eight members of the Brazilian Supreme Court, so there was a sense that all their judgments uh, were not fair Mm. and they were kind of biased. So all of this lead to a situation you have one candidate uh, who gets elected with a margin of 1.5, 1.6% difference. And, and the guy, uh, even though he's tried and all that, he will never leave the fact that, you know, he's tainted with the corruption scandal, uh, that took place during the, you know, the car wash operations in Brazil. So that is the challenge that you see in this whole thing. So, uh, and that's why there is a claim. There is uh, a feeling by certain part of the population that Lula may have been elected, but all these things 
that I've been telling you do not make him a legitimate uh, holder or a legitimate president. Mm. And that's why you have this country so polarized and so divided. And the issue is this, you know, this is the time when you would need a president like, you know, Nelson Mandela in Africa that came to reconcile people. But Lula is no Mandela mm. and neither is Bolsonaro. So that's the challenge that the country faces. And, you know, the World Economic Forum has just released a report saying that one of the great concerns that we have in the coming years is this political polarization mm. that really is not going to be good for the countries and the economies. Mm. Dr. Marcus, you know, again, I really appreciate the words that you use. It's called a political polarization. Because, again, as we mentioned before, when we see the words political polarization, and again, to be fair, it's actually taking place in every single country that previously that we've been discussing. You know, for example, we'll look at America and we're looking at a country of France and we're looking at the country of United Kingdom. Of course, Brazil is the center of the topic today. Now, I want to bring Bolsonaro into uh, this conversation again. As I mentioned in the intro, People tend to believe there's a strong relationship between Bolsonaro and this evangelical community in Brazil. Given the fact that you and I would discuss this before, his middle name is Messiah. And I want to read something to you that he said long time ago during the presidential um, campaign season that Bolsonaro said that for him and for Brazil, God was above everything and the God shall be above everyone. Now, Dr. Marcus, we never get a chance to discuss regarding Bolsonaro's Christian belief or his ties with the evangelical community. How should we understand his influence, even though he's no longer the president? And how much does he still influence the people within the Christian community and also some of the uh, um, citizens in Brazil today, does that create a bigger political or socioeconomic trouble for Lula today? Well, the fact that is that Bolsonaro really, really had an appeal to this evangelical movement mm. um, because you have to go through history in Brazil. Brazil is a Catholic. The majority of the country has been Catholic. Mm. The Catholic have been in power uh, for the longest time. And the result is that these evangelical people, these evangelical, uh, the evangelical community has been somehow away from power. And even though ba Bolsonaro is a Catholic, and you should remember that, uh, his wife is an evangelical. Mm. And, and he somehow appealed a little bit more to this community because for a long time they always felt disenfranchised from the system, mm. right? Because you always have Catholic presidents and all that. And the strength of the Catholic Church is very strong in Brazil. Uh, it was kind of interesting that a few days ago, uh, we had, you know, it was on the on the internet, that Lula had a picture of, of Christ, you know, on the cross. It was, you know, a little, he had like, you know, a, cruci a crucifix with Christ, a wood crucifix, and who's looking, you know, and say, you know, Jesus, you're going to come back to save Brazil, and mm. I am already here. So, you know, kind of also taking this messianic approach to, to, to himself, right? Uh, 
So the issue is this, the problem we have, well, regarding this political polarization. And I think, you know, it's something that you do not have, glad we do not have that in China, uh, this eschatolo- we call this eschatological perspective mm. on the world, which is this constant fight between good and evil, and somehow evil will prevail, and, you know, there is one time that Jesus is going to come back mm. uh, and s- solve it all. Uh, we're taking this too seriously in politics. So we're dividing, you know, the candidates in black and white, red and blue, and, you know, uh, in Brazil was red and green, right? Red and and green and yellow. Mm. So the problem is that we have been dividing the countries like this. Now, you mentioned France, but France has historically been divided, but this, this, this division in France never really led to the end of the center. Now, what is the problem that we're facing in the U.S., in Brazil, and in other places in the world, is that because we have this polarization between one extreme and the other, and believe me, they are very similar in the long run. Not mm. in the long run, you know, in the, in the, mid, in the mid-run, in the, short, in the short run, in the long run, they seem to be, you know, working in the same way and following the same path because they have to base themselves on populism and some measures that are going to attract the public and all of this. Now, they, they touch, you know, they're very similar in the way they approach things. But the problem is that this polarization has really killed the center. And, uh, and the problem is that with social media, and this is one of the challenges that we see rising, mm. uh, social media somehow creates bubbles. And in these bubbles, you're fed by these bubbles, you eat uh, and you consume the same values and the same perspective. And we have seen in these bubbles, uh, you know, strange theories, conspiracy theories, mm. all these kinds being invented in these platforms that we did not have in the past. It's not that they were not out there. We've always had lunatics out there in that sense. But the issue is that uh, it has created these bubbles, and the problem with these bubbles is that instead of you know trying to approach people and trying to get them uh, near to the center, it really uh, feeds the people to go uh, extreme. And the problem is this: you need to have some kind of leadership that is able to reconcile both sides. But the problem is that the rhetoric never corresponds mm. to the reality. You know, Barack Obama was saying that there was no red states or blue states. There is only the United States. He said that. That's right. He never really did anything. He really didn't do anything. And you saw Biden saying that he was going to reconcile people. And then you saw, you know, you just observe what has, he has been doing in the United States regarding the, you know, the fight between Republicans and Democrats. Now, Brazil is not different in that sense, but the issue is this: uh, this takes an even uh, an even greater perspective of this fight of good and evil, because in a sense you have Bolsonaro that has this you know claim over the evangelical vote, and in the other side you have a candidate that was supported by the Catholics, uh, many people in the Catholic Church, not everyone, mm. uh, but also who has uh, the reputation of being a corrupt leader. Mm. So it kind of allows people to manipulate the idea that there is a fight between good and evil. 
Mm. Right? One that is not corrupt and the other one who has been arrested for corruption and all that. So it creates this imaginary fight and that's the challenge that we see. You know, Dr. Marcus, again, I think you're right or I believe that you're 100% right because today when we look at, again, not just about Brazil, but also coming back to America and also any other countries, this whole political division, it's actually discouraging people from uh, believing the core value of democracy. Again, this is something that we mentioned at the beginning. Now, let's go along with this conversation. Again, since you mentioned that today, only just because of the rhetoric and because of this whole political division that really driving the voters away from believing this democratic system or believing, uh, you know, the leadership in, in whatsoever. So my next question to you is, since Lula has already successfully become the president for Brazil, now Bolsonaro is, a, I mean, again, even though he never admitted, but the fact is he's a former president of the country. Now, moving ahead, how do you think that for the Lula's voters or for the people who voted for Lula understand and comprehend the riot took place recently? Because, you know, I have to admit that, Dr. Marcus, as soon as that event took place in Brazil, people begin to link that with what's happened on January 1st. What, regarding to the January first, uh, January sixth, in of the United States, so people are saying because U.S. had this democratic system, and that really people storm into the Capitol, really made embarrassing uh, activity for the country. Now look at what's happening in Brazil today. Do you think those two really echo each other, or those two are completely separate incidents or separate political behaviors? It's interesting because, in a way. One could say that Trump kind of incentivized uh, that kind of movement, mm. even though he went, he wasn't saying to people to invade the capital, right? right. In Brazil, was a little. In Brazil, was a little different because in Brazil, um, we had a designer, a very famous architect, Leonardo, who designed the city and designed the capital, and he mistakenly placed the three powers, the three, you know. Uh, he put the executive branch right in front of the, you know, the legislative and the judicial branch, all of them. We call the three power square, uh, which may, and none of these things really had security that would be enough to contain mm. uh, a huge crowd, right? You know, the Brazilian, the Brazilian Congress has been evaded so many times in the past with destruction having taken place during the Dilma years. Uh, but they never improved, right? Uh, the security or the control and all that. Uh, so what you saw is that there was, I always say this, you know, when they, and the reason why they designed this in the 60s is that because, you know, when they designed the city, they basically thought that people would never go there mm. for political manifestations. Let me just give you a very interesting anecdote about this. When the Brazilian president, because they were moving the capital from Rio de Janeiro, which is a beach town, to the countryside, they said, oh, we're going to develop the greener countryside and all that. But there is an attempt, in a way, to keep power distant from the people. Mm. And when they started building this city in Brazilia, uh, there were no roads or anything. Everything, it was one of the most expensive cities ever you know, planned and built in the world. 
And there is a very famous anecdote. The Indian government gave the Brazilian guy, the Brazilian government, they were going to build a zoo mm. in Brasilia. So they gave an elephant uh, as a gift to the new Brazilian zoo. It took 18 months for the elephant to get from Rio de Janeiro, where it arrived, all the way to Brasilia, because there were no way, there was no way to get there. So somehow, you know, they had built a city that was distant in every sense. So what you saw is that, uh, you know, there's a problem in the design of the city, and there's a problem in securing, you know, these places uh, in a way that is effective. Now, what we have seen, uh, in a way, is that there is a level, high level of discontent uh, in this situation. Mm. Uh, and, and the interesting factor, Will, is that instead of, uh, and you're talking about the other side, the Lula vultures and all that, uh, you see that with the return of Lula, there is a sense of vengeance mm. on their side regarding the Bolsonaro years and the fact that Lula was in prison and the fact that Dilma was impeached. So you see people claiming no amnesty for these people or the full application of the law. And, you know, and they have been calling these acts terrorism acts and all that. So, you know, uh, and you saw that the rhetoric has really been growing in these right. people trying to slow down. You know, let's take... Uh, uh, if people destroyed public assets and public goods, they need to be prosecuted. That's right. And if necessary, put in jail. That's the you know, that's the policy. That's how it should work and all that. Now, what is the difficulty? Well, the difficulty is that we have somebody at the head of the government who was arrested for corruption and now is the president of the country. So the power of example is lost mm. in that sense. And then there is, you know, it becomes a country where people feel that there are no penalties for you not to comply, not if you do not comply with the law. So that's the challenge, and that's the, uh, the, uh, the greatest problem that the country faces in relation to the way it moves on in the future. So uh, one would expect that the other side, the Lula side, would somehow... Uh, you know, try to seek a little bit of a more peaceful coexistence, but this is not what has been happening. Hmm. Dr. Marcus, I know you're very busy. Now stay with me. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now I want to move on to this relationship. Again, you mentioned you're right. For example, there are three crucial branches for any other country or for any law-abiding citizens to understand, which is, again, you mentioned the judicial, the legislature, and also the executive. Now, help us to understand, since we know that Lula was once jailed for corruption, but right now he is the president and Bolsonaro was the former president. So again, these are the facts. How about the relationship between, I guess, the law-abiding citizens with the two people. Again, the reason why I'm asking that because there are still some people believe that this country should be run by laws or should be run uh, according to uh, uh, constitutions or according to uh, lawful ways. But again, it doesn't look like the scenario, doesn't look like the fact 
that this country is following the principle because the power shift, because the political division. So my question to you, Dr. Marcus, is how can we bring Brazil back on the right track in order to un allow people to understand law is still the center or the core value of the country? And again, it doesn't matter if someone says the election was stolen or it doesn't matter if someone believes the election was not fair, but we still need to understand the value of democracy, the value of uh, being a law-abiding citizen. What do you say to that? Well, well, the only way for you to fix this is waiting for the next four years, right? That's the way we have designed the system in our country. Mm. We have elections every four years. Actually, we have elections every two years, but every four years we change the president. Mm. So uh, it's a it's a challenging situation to see what is going on. It's a challenging situation to observe the things that are taking place. Uh, but we have electoral cycles and we have to wait in a sense. And, you know, the Bolsonaro people are not happy with the result. Wait for another four years, you know. Uh, well, if the president does anything that is wrong somehow, you know, he can always get impeached, mm. right? That is something. We have this uh, mechanism established in the Constitution when you create when you see a situation like that, you know, you can always impeach the president. Uh, uh, there, are, there are no challenges in that sense. You can do that. Uh, so you can either impeach the president or wait for the next electoral cycle. Now, what is the challenge that we see and what is the greatest problem that we observe is that in democracies, and this is the greatest challenge we face, is that democracies are not delivering the effective results that people would expect in order to improve their welfare. That's the challenge. I always say that, uh, you know, this, uh, this click, this tic-tac that we see in democracies every four years also has not allowed us to have long-term perspectives on anything or anything that we see. Uh, you know, it becomes a very short-term vision of government, of policies and all that. One group trying to erase the results of the other group. That's something that we also observe. And one of the greatest challenges that we see in democracies nowadays, Will, is what I always call buyer's remorse. Mm. You know, when you go to a store and you buy a product, uh, you know, you leave the store and sometimes you think, why did I buy this, <laughs> right? Uh, why uh, Why did I choose That's this right. thing? You know, I do not really that. And the problem is that in our Western system, we're facing this. Because we're not electing people based on merit. We're electing people based on charisma or, you know, mm. a policy that they defend or anything like that. But not really something that is going to change or improve the welfare of the people. So you have this buyer's remorse and then you elect and the following day you already regret on what you did. So I think that this is something that we need to think uh, about ways uh, in which we could perfect democracy so that the people who are running the country are more qualified and the people who are running the country have a commitment to really uh, improve the country and the welfare of the people. Now, this is not something that we observe and that's the greatest challenge that we face nowadays. Well, Don Marcus, again, since you mentioned the word policy and also you mentioned the credibility of the social issue. So I want to end our conversation by asking you one more question. 
during the presidency of Bolsonaro that he he believed that several ideas or several projects were going to create ripple effects, especially for the people. For example, opened up new mili military schools and also uh, a lot more people uh, who oppose gay marriage and also abortion. You know, again, those issues are not just crucial for people in Brazil and also in America and also in other countries as well. But coming back to America, how much do you think today under Lula's presidency, such idea as military schools and um, gay marriages and abortion and also other social issues are going to be solved under Lula, or at least is going to provide some sense of satisfaction for the voters. It doesn't matter if he's going to be the next president or not, but again, those things are not going to go away very soon. So what do you say to that? Well, I think that Lula will adopt a very woke agenda mm. in a sense, right? He's going to implement many of these things that we see in the uh in the leftist parties that he had in Europe and in the United States. Now, uh trust me, you know, there is no what they call left in, in in Brazil has no relationship to what you call left in China. Mm. Right? You know, no relationship whatsoever. I always say this, you know, I wish that the presidents would somehow stick a little bit more to the leftist agenda that China has regarding welfare and improvement of you know, quality of life and you know, GDP per capita and all that. But the challenge is this, right? Uh, and, and, and so they're going to have this more open uh, social agenda mm. to and be a little bit more inclusive. And I think that was one of the stakes of Bolsonaro because some of the things that he was doing really was not in in agreement with the time right mm. but he was and that's the challenge that bolsonaro did which is exactly the same mistake of trump he was talking to his bubble all the time mm. and that bubble is not enough to elect them or re-elect them as president right so you need to you know in a way you need to widen the tent to bring more people in and you have to accept that you know our societies are more diverse than ever, and we need to accept that our societies are diverse, and we need to include uh, as many people as possible under the tent and under this roof. And the challenge is that none of these guys have been doing that. So what you're going to see is that Lula is somehow going to do away with many of the policies that Bolsonaro did. And, uh, and then we have to wait for the next electoral cycle and see what the other guy comes and thus, what is the problem is that there are there is no long-term perspective on anything. Mm. And you know, you cannot build a country and ensure that a country works effectively if every four years you're changing all the policies. You're not going to go anywhere. That's right. right. You keep reinventing the will. You keep reinventing the will. And this is not really going to be this is not healthy for societies. So, and, and, and in order to do that, right, uh, I always say this, it's not only a matter of uh, getting new people in place, but, you know, having people in place who understand that the institutions are bigger than themselves, mm. that the presidency of the country is more important than the person that occupies mm. that seat. All right. Very good. Well, again, Dr. Marcus, I think you're right. Again, even though we're right now 
at just in the beginning of 2023, and we're only no. looking at the country of Brazil, but in the long run, and I believe it's important and crucial for us continue to understand that democracy should be valued and democracy should be well preserved. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Dr. Marcus de Freitas. Now, Dr. Marcus, it's a senior fellow at the Policy Center for the New South and focusing on international law and international relations in Brazil. And he's currently a visiting professor of international law and international relations at China Foreign Affairs University in Beijing, China. Well, Dr. Marcus, again, happy 2023. And thank you so much for doing this.